Hey, Real Talkers, why did Alberta need to issue an emergency alert about electricity amidst a deep freeze? How did the energy capital of Canada get to the point it can't meet its own power demand when extreme weather hits? Is it Rachel Notley's fault for moving away from coal? Is it past or present conservative government's fault for deregulating the market and failing to secure reliable backup power? In this episode, energy economist David Gray takes the politics out of the conversation about Alberta's grid and explains why the province is in such a perilous position. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to welcome you to this episode of Real Talk. You know, issues aren't issues until they're issues, right? Problems aren't problems until they're real problems. And so when you tell an entire population of people that something might be an issue at some point, but it's not an issue now, then people don't treat it like an issue. We're talking about electricity today on the show. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff on the show today, but in just a second, we're going to get to an energy economist, David Gray. You've heard him here on the show before. If you're listening to this around the days that we're recording this episode, I don't have to tell you that the better part of Canada has been in a deep freeze for the past number of days. And we're not talking minus 20. We're not talking minus 25. Canadians don't think those temperatures are a big deal. Once you start flirting with minus 40 or below, you start to see real strains, strains on the population and the people, strains in in people's individual lives. We've heard of pipes bursting and, and furnaces failing. But what about the entire grid? What about the grid that people draw from to keep their homes in some circumstances lit, in other circumstances powered up in the kitchen and otherwise, to keep their cars plugged in, to keep everything going? If you've paid attention over the past few days, you know that the province has been issuing emergency alerts, that there's been, as far as we're told, a real threat of losing power, of system outages. An emergency alert over the weekend asked people to turn off all unnecessary lights, all unnecessary power draws. It named EVs, electric vehicles in particular, which I thought was interesting. It didn't name hot tubs. The point is, are we really this close to system failure? And if so, how did we get here and how do we get out? We're going to talk about that today, plus the Iowa caucuses, and we're going to meet a woman whose family sold their car 18 months ago. They went car-free. She says it's been smooth sailing ever since. Now, we booked this interview weeks ago. We didn't know it was going to be minus 35 when we were talking to Sarah Bisbee. It's going to give us an added layer of interest, I think, to an interview that was already going to be pretty compelling. I'm expecting that to be a good one in the second half of this show. Before we get to David Gray, I want to let you know that our friends at Rello have a pretty simple and clear message to those of you that are absolutely sick and tired of what you've been doing in your career, your current job, you're looking for a change. Well, now is the perfect time to go back to school and launch a rewarding career in real estate. Rello's courses online are affordable and they make it easy for you to pass your exam and get that real estate license so you can start setting your own hours, running your own business, being your own boss. How good does that sound? The earning potential is unlimited. Plus, you're going to be helping people every single day as they buy or sell their homes. 
Now, why Rello? Well, the best part about it is that Rello's committed to your success. They've got live instructors that host online exam prep sessions every weekend on Saturdays. They've got a bunch of resources to help you launch your business well after you've passed that exam and gotten licensed. So the relationship continues. And right now, there's a great offer for Real Talkers because you heard about this on this show. If you use the promo code REALTALK, that's all one word, REALTALK at Rello.ca. They're going to knock 20% off any Rello course. David Gray is an energy economist. He's worked as a, a load forecaster and a system planner uh, in the Northwest Territories. He was an analyst uh, for gas and electric rates for the AEUB. He was executive director of the Utilities Consumer Advocate, and he's consulted on rates and energy efficiency across Canada and the United States for many years. A good friend of this show, and we're grateful that he's made himself available after a, a hell of a weekend. It was absolutely wild, David. What was kind of your, your high level or main observations over the past few days? It's, um, you know, extraordinary that we get these, uh, what do they call them, the Arctic gyres? That come down now. I mean, that's the thing that uh, strikes me the most about the change in our weather is the extent to which it can change just so drastically and so suddenly, and how um, we get these extraordinary cold snaps that remind me of being back in the Northwest Territories. Yeah, no kidding. And, and these are temperatures that even, you know, people that have lived in this part of the world for 30, 40 years are going, I don't know that I've ever seen my my dash read out on my car, say minus 40. Uh, but that's yeah. exactly what it's been like. And, and there are tons of implications, of course, all over the place. Number one, I think the thing that most people are talking about is Alberta's grid and electricity availability and, and notes from... Uh, obviously emergency alerts, the premier's office and others saying if we can't cut back on our use, if we can't delay the use of major appliances or turn off draws, unplug things that don't need to be plugged in, uh, we could have outages across the province, which would, of course, have huge impacts. Uh, what was your first response when you saw that emergency alert on your phone? Uh, I thought it was entirely predictable. How come? Right. Uh, because the system that we have, our electricity market, is extraordinarily bad at uh, building capital when you need it. Um, it has this tendency to go through the cycle of underbuilding and then overbuilding um, that we're seeing again. And we've seen it uh, in 1999, we saw it in 2014, and we're seeing it again now. Uh, it, it's a bad market design that's causing us all sorts of problems, not just with reliability, but also with pricing. So I've seen some people say that this is Rachel Notley's fault uh, for taking the province off coal, off coal-generated power. I've, I've seen people say that this is the UCP's fault because they haven't prepared for it. I'm not sure that it's productive for us to sit and point fingers and assign blame, but everybody would like to know how Alberta got in this position. So what's the truth? Uh, the truth is, is that it's the um, UCP carrying on with the PC's plan for deregulation. Uh, we adopted a very strange system, and it seems like Newdorf is finally figuring out that ours isn't like other places, and we have this energy-only market. Uh, and it has all sorts of consequences in the way that things work. Uh, there's only us in Texas and North America that use this kind of market. And the problem that you run into is that it really doesn't pay anyone for reliability. Um, supposedly, 
the, the prices are supposed to rise and incent people to add more generation, but they've been capped at the same level since 1999. So it's really no surprise to me that we don't have the backup power we need when we need it. Okay, so uh, Alberta finds itself in a situation now where it's, is it buying power from Saskatchewan over the weekend? Is that however you, you know, how we were able to keep things running? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a modest amount that comes from Saskatchewan. It's 150 megawatts out of a total of 12,800. I see. So it's not a huge amount. Um, and if anyone could convince the commercial operators in Alberta to not run their lights on downtown all night, uh, that would probably have looked after it. The, it's a very scary thing to be that close to having to have outages at minus 40. Uh, because bad things happen really fast, minus 40. Yeah, David, like just to, just to kind of spell it out, I think most people can imagine in their own lives, if they lost power in their own home, on their own property for a number of hours, what the implications might be. But can you paint a picture for us? Very bad things happen when you have long-term outages. I mean, the biggest one we've ever seen was uh, the Northeast U.S. in 2003. They estimated the losses at $5 per kilowatt hour. Um, so they, they, they lost generation and lost billions of kilowatt hours, but the, the damage from that loss of electricity was five bucks a kilowatt hour. Um, people die, bad things happen, food gets spoiled. We would collapse as a civilization losing uh, electricity for an extended period of time. I mean, I think you even say to somebody, remind people they wouldn't be able to charge their phones. And you think of how much of your life runs off your phone, uh, everything from banking to communication and correspondence to everything else. And, and it paints a pretty clear picture within 24 hours of what that might look for people. So how do we get out of this, David? Well, we could fix it really easily just by increasing the peak price that we pay for uh, power in our market. So when we looked at this in 2005 at the Utilities Consumer Advocate, we commissioned a study to ask the question, what price would you need to set in order for us to have the same reliability as a regulated utility service? In a regulated utility service, you'll typically have about a 15% reserve margin. So in the case of Alberta, with the load that we've got, we'd want about 2,000 megawatts of just straight reserve. We're not using it for anything else than a bad day. Um, and we got to zero, right? We were, we were, we were scraping. Uh, and that's a very bad scene. Uh, it looks like we're going to get back to normal levels of reserve with the addition of three new uh, plants in 24. Um, again, capital tends to get built in lumpy uh, cohorts in this market because of the way it works. But we'll be good for uh, reliability starting next year for a few years again. Uh, the problem we're going to have is it looks like if Transcan or Transelta is able to complete its purchase of uh, Heartland Generation, that they'll be able to continue the scheme of economic withholding that's kept prices so high the last three years. So, you know, we have a market that at the moment is delivering both high prices and poor reliability. You know, within six months, we'll be just high prices. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, people are kind of going, it's like pick your poison right now when it, when it comes to that. Uh, Daniel Smith has, has mused in past about establishing a crown corporation uh, that, that would essentially, uh, you know, utilize or look to natural gas, right, to keep Alberta's grid supply where it needs to be. This is obviously my layperson's interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this in response to Federal Minister Guibault, uh circling 2035 on the calendar, wants Alberta's grid to be net zero by 2035. Meantime, Alberta's premier says we're looking at establishing this crown corp would you agree with me that properly spun this situation over the weekend works very well uh to bolster the intention that alberta's premier has no i think what it does is it makes us look ridiculous as a utility jurisdiction this is just abysmal right compared to anybody else any of our neighbors any other jurisdiction Utility rates have climbed here like nowhere else, like no one's ever seen. At the same time as us facing, um, you know, blackouts, it's just nothing to be proud of, and it has nothing to do with renewable energy. No one has ever used renewable energy for backup power, and that's what you have to understand in terms of electricity. You get reliability by having multiple backups. The math is pretty simple. If you have a generator that has a 10% chance of breaking down, if you add two of them, two of them together have only a 1% chance of breaking down. If you add three of them, they have a 0.1% chance of breaking down. And so that's how we've always maintained a reliability in our electricity grid is by having these multiplicity of backups. Um, We don't have that now. Just because it's not appealing uh, for for industry because it's not appealing for 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 profit corporations is that why so I understand correctly? Yeah, it's we have a very funny market. And the only people that want to play in it are people that are already here, right? It's really set up to benefit the incumbents. Johnny, can you tee up that clip from from Danielle Smith? This is from a while back, but this is the premier describing. Alberta's situation uh, when it comes to power and the grid and backup. And uh, and David, I'd, I'd love for you to have a quick listen to this. I'm sure you've heard the clip before. And let us know if it all still applies. Now, I want to be clear. This was not this weekend. She's not talking about this in the midst of what's happening. But but here's Premier Daniel Smith. The problem that, that we have, and again, this is a, the strange way in which this market has been created. Part of having an energy-only market is that the players will say you, they have to have a higher rate for a sustained period of time to earn enough capital so that they can pay off their capital costs, have enough money to invest in new. And there was a discussion years ago about a capacity market, which would be allowing us to pay people for being on standby for us. Um, and the decision was made at that time not to go forward with that. But I think we're beginning to see the consequences of what happens when there isn't a mechanism to bring on new baseload power is that we don't end up with new baseload power uh, projects being proposed. So that's what we're trying to fix in this whole process, because in order to bring on more wind and solar, we have to bring on more baseload. They have to happen in tandem so that we're not facing power outages on our coldest days and our hottest days. And so we need to make sure that we've created a market that allows for more of that baseload to come in, and we don't have that right now. So there's there's a number of things that need to be remedied, and we'll have all of those answers by, uh, by, fe- by the end of February when the pause comes off. Okay, so that was... Uh, Daniel Smith talking back in November in the context of that renewables pause. Um, does it hold up? Is it accurate? I know I've seen the clip making the rounds. No, we don't need baseload power. We need peaking power. 
we have lots of base load coming on, um, but that doesn't solve the problem that when it hits the fan, you need backup, right? If you're counting on a small number of large plants, it doesn't help your reliability as much as having more smaller plants that are only available for say 500 hours a year. And those plants can't make a buck uh, because we haven't raised the peak price in our market since 1999. David, you know, it's, it's, you know, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it's like wanting to have, uh, you know, an emergency standby, but offering zero dollars to provide it. Ah, got it. Uh, Noob, try again in the chat, says, w w would you please ask David about uh, Canada or Alberta, you know, being part of this Western interconnect grid? and why we were still left in this position, uh, says, I thought it was like a Western North American power sharing type agreement. Is that a thing? Yes, it is. Uh, we are essentially an electrical island. We have interconnections with Saskatchewan, Montana, and British Columbia, but relative to our grid, they are very, very small. Um, so for example, the Saskatchewan's 150 megawatts, um, BC is notionally 700 megawatts, but we never use it. And I think we maxed out at 150 megawatts over the weekend in the worst of the cases. Um, so we're, we're essentially an island. We're on our own. Uh, and um, it would be an excellent idea for us to become better in, interconnected, particularly with British Columbia, so that we could swap cheap uh, wind power for firm hydropower. Mm. Uh, and we'd both benefit. They would get cheaper power. We would get better reliability. Um, but that would mean that the provinces would need to, uh, you know, talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't rule it out uh, in, in a situation like this where all of this becomes very real to people. Hypotheticals don't really land with folks. Um, mm -hmm. uh, properly utilized politicians can use hypotheticals to, to make a point. But this point is making itself uh, over the weekend. I, I was interested to hear you say that you figure if all the downtown office towers would have killed all their lights uh that that would have gone a, a long way or a, a significant way in decreasing demand that's interesting to hear averting a crisis so to speak i don't know how much you know about who types up or who composes the emergency alerts uh johnny would you throw that back up on the screen again the, the one thing that jumped out at me and i'm sure i'm not the only one uh electric vehicles were specifically named uh, in the emergency alert, right? It says minimize the use of space heaters. I understand that, but people are freezing at the same time. Delay use of major power appliances. Delay charging electrical vehicles. And of course, and plugging in block heaters for the internal combustion crowd. Um, I'm not saying that this emergency alert was designed to, what's the word I'm looking for? Discredit EVs or take a shot at EVs. But at the same time, I thought it was pretty interesting, considering that people can use their apps for their EVs to have them charge when, you know, draw on the grid is down and when power is cheaper and when it makes more sense. And did you find that interesting or, or am I just coming across like a conspiracy theorist right now? No, it's all part of the same BS of them going after renewable energy and putting on the moratorium. Right. It's all just cruise missiles aimed at anybody who thinks green energy is important or that the climate is an issue. Right. It's a division of the populace for political gain using ridiculous positions that don't comport with reality.
David, uh, before I thank you for your time, we're going to hand things over to Charles Adler here in just a quick second. Is there anything that we've missed that you think is particularly relevant, important, or interesting in the context of what we're seeing right now? I think what we're going to see um, with this government is that they'll continue to buy the song and dance of the power industry that, oh my goodness, this is the only way we can do this. And, you know, you have to give us more money in order to have reliability. And it's all bunkum. It all comes down to um, us having a captured regulator and a captured government by this industry. Um, and we need to get them out of having the exclusive say in how our power system works. It's really been designed so that the shareholders of these companies can make a fortune. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty firm that this is the worst way to run a railroad. Energy economist David Gray. You can find him on Twitter at the real DK Gray. Thanks for making time for us today. We appreciate it. Johnny and Ryan, always a pleasure. Thanks, Dave. Uh, on the live chat, uh, interesting takes on this. Randy says, OMG. Randy says, come on, there's like 9,500 electric vehicles registered in Alberta. If half of them were charging at four kilowatts, then that's 20 megawatts of energy. He says we have 11,000 megawatts of demand at any given time. Uh, others say that this was, you know, Jason said mentioning EVs in the emergency alert was definitely meant to trigger the anger machine. Uh, others, you know, James says calling out EVs was definitely a deliberate target. Meantime, Mariah says, I don't know. She says it mentions block heaters, too. Uh, it's not just language or she says it's just language that people know, in my opinion. Um, I agree, Mariah. I was actually a little bit choked. I don't, I don't have it here. Let me see if I can call it up in, in real time. I think that that Alberta's uh, energy minister, uh, Brian Jean, uh, took a swipe that that I think in, in my mind made him look a little bit foolish over the weekend. Uh, where is it here on Twitter? Uh, taking a big swipe at journalists at the CBC. Did you see this? Uh, and he tags Andrew Shear in it, I guess, because he's looking for a pat on the back. I don't know why he would have done that. But, but Brian Jean uh, cites this or, or, or links to a CBC news story that says that EVs, electric cars, are the best vehicle in frigid temperatures, say advocates in Saskatchewan. And there's some reasons for that. I don't know a ton about EVs. We learn about a lot. On this show, we've done a ton of interviews uh, about EVs and the trend toward more and more consumers going there. You know, they don't have any oil. There's like no fluid. In this, so they're not, you know, you don't have to plug them in with block heaters. They, they warm up immediately. There's a whole lot of reasons why people that are driving EVs right now say that they've actually been really good uh, over the past you know, few days through minus 40. Uh, but CBC puts out this story as that emergency alert goes out saying please avoid charging your evs and plugging in your block heaters right and and so says minister brian jean from his official account he says breaking another home run from the cbc is this parody he wonders while the alberta government asks people not to charge their electric cars due to the extreme cold straining the grid cbc publishes this article brilliant says the minister 1.3 billion dollars of your tax dollars ladies and gentlemen hashtag oil and gas looking for applause there hashtag journalism uh that from minister brian jean um who i think probably a swing and a miss on that one i mean <laughs> in the same sentence as they say don't plug in evs they say don't plug in block eaters yeah so i don't know but but taking big swipes at journalists uh as, as the energy minister i would i would i would say maybe um 
I don't know, like, w- wouldn't you suggest maybe that Alberta's energy minister has a bit of egg on his face? I mean, it's not necessarily 100% does, his yeah. fault, but I think that if you're in that position right now where Alberta is not exactly well positioned. No. Uh, it's not like you're hitting home runs. No. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting one. Um, I kept an eye out this weekend. I was I was looking. I was texting some of my friends I know who have EVs. I was like, what's happening right now? And they're like, yeah, nothing. We're yeah. fine. Yeah. My cars, I mean... A lot of them had their cars in the garage, which I don't know if you went in your garage this weekend, but it, it was it's almost as cold as outside. But huh. no problems starting. No yeah. problems getting around. I Batteries didn't see, aren't any, as I didn't see good any Teslas on the side reliable, of the road. But I mean, and, and if there are some on the side, like they're not like uh, invincible. No. Uh, but at the same time, and I'm not a disciple of EVs, but no. what I want and what I'm interested in and what you're interested in, I'm sure as an audience member of this show, is accurate informed dialogue mm-hmm. around things and and not just big swipes at, at at whatever for the purposes of politics um i know that we all want our politicians uh, to be working for us at a time like this right not trying to score political points but i understand how they operate i understand it's job security we'll get to charles adler on that in just a quick second hey listen i know this it may come across as opportunistic it's not intended to be such but i'm just saying if you're one of those that was on social media over the weekend posting photos of i saw somebody's drain had frozen johnny can you imagine the drain and so the bathtub was like filling 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 from the drain <laughs> and then the toilet's overflowing and they're doing what they can there you know what they had to do they were taking buckets of water this is a personal friend of mine on Facebook and they're throwing buckets of water out the back door of their house to try to until the until the emergency yeah. plumber can, can you imagine wow. I mean people's basements sometimes are in a world of hurt in this extreme weather if this is your situation number one sorry about your luck and number two make sure you get in touch with complete care restoration right away they've got more than 25 years of experience professional property restoration services in Edmonton and the metro Edmonton region whether it's fire flood mold asbestos they do it better than anybody else you can find them online at completecarestoration.ca our friends at athabasca university want to remind you that they are ready right now to start talking to you about what a future at au could look like it is the university that tens of thousands of canadians trust their post-secondary journey at au why because it's different than anywhere else your only commute is to your device number one how good is that number two you are determining your study schedule. There's not sort of a midterm on this day, you gotta be there. There's not an exam or a paper due by that date, and if you miss that date, then you're screwed. Uh Uh-uh, at AU, everything's designed so you can complete your education whenever and wherever it works for you. Nobody else can say that. You can get your journey started today by visiting athabascau.ca. And speaking of garages, if your garage is in need of a little TLC, if you were looking for a space heater or for your extension cords or for extra blankets or whatever this weekend and you couldn't find them because your garage is an absolute disaster, it might be time to put in a call to California Closets. You can find them online at californiaclosets.ca or give them a shout at 844 977 1231. Nobody does custom organization like California Closets, whether it's in your primary bedroom, your guest room, your home office, your laundry room, or yeah, your garage, the workhorse of the home. You can get the conversation started with their experts that'll come up with storage ideas you maybe never even dreamed of. California Closets will simplify your life, and it all starts with a free design consultation at californiaclosets.ca. 
First episode of every week, the Titan of Talk, Emmy Award-winning talk radio legend Charles Adler joins us for a dose of Canadian common sense. We'll talk about Iowa caucuses and the American political machine in just a quick second. But how did you hold up this weekend? Were you were you staring down minus forty? You have to imagine you were. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, you know, when you're on the prairie, you're on the prairie. Whether you're in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta. But do you stay way, the- inside and just do you, do you just like hunker down, or, or are you like out and about? Well, <laughs> last week was not one of my, my, my better weeks. I wasn't feeling all, all that well, and I didn't uh, perform up to par. But, uh, you know, I don't, um, I don't screw the pooch two, two Mondays in a row, so that's not going to happen today. But I, I've got to tell you that uh, because I live in, in my head much of the time, it doesn't make a, a whole lot of a difference to me. And, uh, you know, we've got, if I don't want to drive the, the vehicle, you know, we've got Uber, and most of all, what we have on the prairie, whether we're in Alberta or Saskatchewan or Manitoba, are friends. And so friends will always uh, call and say, hey, do you want uh, Chuck? We know you don't like, uh, you know, we don't like, you know, you don't like uh, driving and this kind of stuff. And uh, do you want us to pick you up? And so uh, having friends, uh, you know, really matters. But I just want to, in the interest of full disclosure, as I always uh, do on the show, I just want you to know that um, Mondays, despite the fact that I'm waking up in, in a province where we have no energy issues, we have a crown corp and reliable you know, reliable electricity. Yeah, you're talking Manitoba, yeah. Yeah, we don't have, yeah, in Manitoba, we don't have to worry about a, making sure that a handful of, you know, multimillionaires or billionaires uh, are, are making off like bandits. And once again, it's not because I'm a socialist. I'm all in favor of having as many millionaires and billionaires as possible. I'm just not in favor of parasitism. So we've got reliable energy here. But because Mondays are my Alberta day because they're my day with you, I offer maximum empathy. So this morning, I generally, just before the show, I would take a, a shower. And today, I chose not to. Wow. There you go. You're a better man than me, Chuck. You're a better man than me. People are doing whatever they can. This is like, you know, especially we, I'm, everyone's in their own situation and their own scenarios. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, for some people, I was looking at people over the weekend that are working outside, and I just have, like, the most respect possible for them. Um, other folks are living in, in homes where the, maybe the, uh, the energy efficiency isn't the best. And so no matter what, you're running space heaters, you got your thermostat all the way up, you're good, you're, you know, furnace is pumping, uh, right. doing everything you can to try to stay warm. So it becomes very obvious very quickly. And like the, even the average person without an understanding of what a kilowatt hour is, or without an understanding of how the grid works, the average person can understand how everything is so strained right now. But interesting to see the politics around it this weekend. But, 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 but Ryan... You know, once again, this prairie guy to prairie guy, uh, there is no excuse. You know, when, when, when BC's got the power and Saskatchewan's got the power and Manitoba's got the power, the idea that Alberta, and I, I'm not into, you know, being a sycophant here, but, you know, Alberta is, is off the charts and, you know, education levels, uh, middle class, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I just really resent the idea of Alberta being treated like it's some kind of... Uh, you know, haven for, 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 for hillbillies. And th- there's no excuse for Albertans not to have as much power as they need right now. I mean, what else are you going to call this but a scam? I mean, Albertans are getting scammed if, if people in, in politics are convincing them that this is the only way we can live and this is the only way we can support pr- the private sector and this is the only way we can stand up to the federal government and all that other trash. It's like your, your guest said a few moments ago. You know, every minute it seems that, you know, I guess I have to call it hard right-wing politics, are kind of aiming cruise missiles at anyone who is making common sense on this kind of issue. 
Big story stateside, uh, Iowa caucuses today, and, and, and Iowa's kind of a, I guess, a harbinger of, uh, you know, the, the, the way that the entire presidential election could go. Uh, and it's been a big one, and people are kind of keeping an eye on Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, but it looks like uh, Donald Trump's in a real power position here, uh, which, you know, today, by the end of day, uh, could kind of set the table for what most people expect to happen uh, when it comes to another showdown between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, you posted a, a clip over the weekend. This was like a street interview with j- just a kind of your average Trump supporter. This I won't introduce him because I don't even know this guy's name. This guy was just gathering at a rally. Somebody put a mic in his face. But what he said was remarkable. Why don't we tee it up? So here he is. The other day, Donald Trump said on his first day, he's going to be a dictator for a day. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like that. Would you rather have Donald Trump as a dictator for four years or reelect Joe Biden for four years? I would rather have. Donald Trump, I'd like to see the repeal of the Roosevelt law so that he can be a president for a lot more than four years. But we, this country, needs a dictator. I hate to say that, but it's the truth. So everybody wants their favorite president to be able to stay in office forever. We heard a bunch of people saying that about Barack Obama back in the day. But this guy actually wants a dictator. Yeah, he wants he wants a dictator. And, you know, I know it's not, you know, politically correct to, to speak this way. But there are many people who have lost faith in democracy. And so because they, they, view, they don't view democracy as including them. They view democracy as this scam that, that's run by, by certain elites. OK, I'll use I'll use their language. And, you know, here's a guy who wants a strong man to you know, give the finger to all of these different elites, whether they're running universities or the, the public school system, the, uh, you know, the, the teachers union, the media, you name it. You know, Donald Trump is giving the finger to all of these people who are getting in his way. Um, and so if, if, if the status quo is democracy, he'd rather have dictatorship. You know, our, our, our brains, you know, they're binary, unfortunately. You know, generally, it's either or. So if, if he's not happy with the current state of democracy, and Donald Trump says he's willing to just take over and, and be a dictator. This guy and many others who aren't on camera are saying, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's that term benevolent dictator that was used for uh, for, for a long time. And if, if you ask a, a bunch of Americans and maybe, maybe, maybe a bunch of Canadians, would they rather have a benevolent dictator who's, quote, fighting for them, who's on their side, as opposed to what we now have? There are a bunch of them, you know, and certainly in a secret ballot or if they trusted the pollster who might say yes. I'm not saying it's a majority, but democracy is getting a bad name, getting a black eye these days. And what does that mean? That means that the idea of a strong man, of a dictator is actually gaining in popularity, whether we like it or not. And Donald Trump will most likely defeat Joe Biden, despite the fact that Biden and the Biden coalition will be talking about how the next election is all about preserving democracy. That won't wash with a lot of people in Iowa and Nebraska and Arizona, and I could go on and on and on. But I think right now it looks like a significant electoral college victory for Donald Trump. So uh, I think it was January 10th. uh, Chris Christie says, I'm out. Uh, He says we haven't been able to sort of find consensus on the the best alternative here uh, to Donald Trump. He believed that he was the best positioned candidate to go head to head against the former president. You've got Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Remaining, picking up on just momentum, uh, you know, north of the border, just from my perspective, keeping an eye on it. Nikki Haley seems to be kind of picking up some momentum and picking up some speed. What do you make of her chances to be to be the Republican nominee for president and ultimately the first female president of the United States? You think it could happen? Well, I'll I'll just quote Chris Christie, who you just named. And Chris Christie's a supporter of 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 democracy. And, you know, his, his, his 
run in the Republican race was, was all about how, you know, he doesn't think America should have a dictatorship. He, should, he wants to be a, you know, basically was running as a moderate, uh, moderate Republican. I'll call it, the, you know, a Mitt Romney Republican. Mitt Romney's my idea of, of, of a, a good moderate uh, Republican. I talked a little bit about that last week. So I'll just quote Chris Christie here on Nikki Haley, you know, off camera, off microphone, except the microphone was hot. Chris Christie was saying that Nikki Haley's going to get smoked. So I, I agree with Chris Christie. Nikki Haley is going to get smoked. And right now uh, it's, you know, it's, it's being said that Nikki Haley might get 20% in the uh, Iowa caucuses tonight. Well, 20% is not as good as 50%. And, and in New Hampshire, she might do a little better. Uh, you know, she might finish a, a solid number two, but number two ain't number one. And then they go to South Carolina. And I, I get that Nikki Haley was the governor of South Carolina, but I, mean, I know South Carolina like the back of my hand. Every acre of South Carolina, except for some minority districts, is, is, is Donald Trump country. Easy money. Trump's focus to this point has has i mean has sort of been on the things that can really light a fire under people like you know the, the idea of like the gender neutral washrooms and men and girls bathrooms and climate change related stuff and evs and all the hot button stuff that comes up again and again and again and talk shows like this it, it's it's great to fire up a base that's already engaged and motivated um trump certainly has one of the most motivated bases in recent memory um, and I'm talking about global politics. Like, it, it's it's pretty obvious, that statement there. But when it comes to a general election, that's not the type of thing that will inspire the general population uh, to take their vote either way. So if you're Joe Biden uh, and Kamala Harris, in this context, in this point, how do you campaign against Donald Trump? Where's your focus? What's the key message? It's it's not it's not easy because the campaign, despite all of the eccentricities that uh, come from Donald Trump, and once again, I am not a Donald Trump uh, supporter. If I were voting in the general election, I would vote for Joe Biden. So let's just uh, put that uh, on the shelf. The entire election in the United States, as far as Donald Trump is concerned, the Republicans is going to be a vote against Joe Biden. No, no, not much different than. Here in Canada, despite all of the stuff that comes out of Polyev and all of the social messaging, a lot of it weird, a lot of it stuff that I criticize, fundamentally, the, ne the next election is not going to be about Pierre Polyev. It's going to be about whether or not to renew uh, Justin Trudeau. And it's this way in federal elections, it's this way in provincial elections. And when the question is asked of the average American, not necessarily a member of the Trump base, the average American, were you better off four years ago? When Donald Trump was president, were you better off four years ago than you are right now? That's always the question. Many average Americans will say yes because their groceries were less expensive, their mortgage rates were less expensive, life was less complicated for them, less difficult four years ago when Donald Trump was president than right now with Joe Biden. Despite all the charts saying the economy's in better shape now and you know crime may be in better shape, it doesn't matter. The average American isn't feeling that. They've got what's known as a sourpuss economy in the United States. Technically, it looks good, and it's certainly good for, 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 for shareholders. It's, it's been great for the stock market. But for the average person, you know, living on Main Street, you know, Main Street America is not as happy as Wall Street America. 
And the election is going to be about whether or not you want to renew Joe Biden. And the other thing that I have to talk about, whether I like it or not, is a, a huge issue in the United States, and that's immigration. And that's illegal immigration, the migrants coming across the border. And it's the biggest issue in Iowa right now, despite the fact that almost none of the migrants end up migrating to Iowa. It's the idea that the country is not secure, the country is not protected, that the Biden coalition is soft on this issue, and everyone knows, just in their gut, that a guy like Donald Trump is bound to be a lot stronger on this issue. And so Trump is talking about, you know, deporting people, even Nikki Haley's talking about deporting people. It's, it's, it's an issue that the Democrats can't possibly win on because, the, because Heartland America believes that Joe Biden doesn't care enough about the border, therefore doesn't care enough about national security. I don't think that this is going to be the biggest issue or, or the biggest talking point, but I'm curious. I'll be curious to see how uh, the war in Ukraine factors into all of this. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people muse about, you know, what would this look like if it was Donald Trump dealing with Vladimir Putin? Uh, and what would this look like, the, the U.S.-Russia relationship? And, of course, you know that Trump will probably be saying that if he was president, this war never would have happened in the first place. Uh, do you he, think that he, that's going to factor he, he, in? He, he, he does say that, but if you follow, for instance, a lot of the rhetoric in the Iowa caucuses, uh, if you follow, say, Rick DeSantis, who wants to make absolutely sure that he doesn't alienate the uh, the Trump audience, because the Trump audience, the Trump base is, is where he gets some, some votes from. And uh, he has spent well over $100 million, um, you know, and he will likely wind up tonight with, uh, you know, not much more than maybe 10% of the vote. And the reason for that is because he was betting on people in Iowa and elsewhere saying, we want Trump, we want Trump's policies without Trump. Uh, so therefore, that's what DeSantis has been betting on. And when it comes to Ukraine, DeSantis's position is that if he were president, and same as Trump's position, Trump doesn't articulate it the way DeSantis does, but he will re basically read the riot act to Ukraine and tell them to, if they, if they want to have any American aid, uh, they've got to make some concessions to the Russians. So that generally means Crimea and parts of eastern Ukraine. Uh, they've got to compromise with the Russians and, and do that and um, and end this war. That That's their position. And uh, Trump, whether he says it out loud or not, uh, Trump will be tough, not tough on Russia. He will be tough on Ukraine. That doesn't mean it's the end of Ukraine, but it may be the end of, of Ukraine um, whole, the end of uh, Ukraine having all of the territory that... Uh, most Ukrainians expect it to have. That, that, that is the position. I'm not saying that'll happen. I'm not saying that if, if, if Trump wins the election that uh, the Ukraine-Russia uh, war will just kind of magically end. There, there's no way that I'd ever be irresponsible enough to make those kinds of predictions. But if you're asking me specifically what Trump's policy would likely be, it would be to lean heavily on Ukraine and to stop uh, talking about how the United States is the head of NATO and NATO can handle this. The, the America first position, the Donald Trump position is we're alone in the world. Uh, we can't count on NATO and NATO shouldn't have to count on us. Uh, we've got uh, Mark, who's uh, tuning in from Salt Lake City, Utah. He says uh, Ron DeSantis flames out after Iowa. He's out of money. Uh, Tony says the same thing, says DeSantis flamed out long ago. Uh, we'll see. I think, yeah, man, I think, I think Ron DeSantis's biggest mistake w was picking a big fight with Disney. I think ever, if you, if, if you honestly, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying that's what, that's where he hit the wall. But if you look at kind of peak DeSantis, 
And then you yeah. look at where things started to kind of like fall apart a little bit. It was right around the time that he started going hard at Disney, the biggest employer in Florida, one of the biggest brands in the world. Uh, it just hasn't. If you look at the timeline, I don't know, man, yeah. mess, mess with Disney. You know, get the horns, I well, guess. I mean, DeSantis the, the would still win a landslide, you know, if he were able to run for governor again. Oh, sure. They've got term limits there, so he can't do that. But if, if he were to run again, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, uh, he would uh, win. And the, uh, the Democratic Party in Florida is a really, really bad joke. And, yes, I have lived in Florida just like I've lived in. And, oh, by the way, the, the business about Iowa. Can we talk about Iowa for a moment and uh, media coverage of Iowa? They keep talking about how cold Iowa is, and because Iowa is cold, uh, yeah, duh, Iowa is cold in January. Uh, so, so is Alberta. So let's just take Iowa, the Iowa caucuses, and move them into Alberta. If Alberta were, and I, I don't, mind, I don't mean to tickle the fantasies of some some people in Alberta here, because some people in Alberta do want Alberta to be a an American state. I get it. If a, if Alberta was an American state, and we had the Alberta caucuses. Would we have a conversation tonight about people not attending caucuses, whether they're in the in homes, uh, you know, schools, churches, whatever? I mean, they've got the 99 counties in, in Iowa and, and hundreds and hundreds of caucuses. Would we have a conversation tonight about, about we, we don't think there will be a turnout in Alberta tonight for the caucuses because Albertans don't, don't, don't want to do anything when it's cold outside? Well, I think that, uh, yeah, I do think they would. I, I think that no matter how how used you are to cold or not um, fewer and fewer people are going to go out and do something. People are going to be way less motivated to do something uh, when it's minus 40. And I think that also when you look at, and and I want to be clear, I, I don't believe that elections or I don't believe you should approach or look at elections like they're foregone conclusions, but you know, that whole get out the vote thing, like, most people believe that elections, I mean, it's unpopular to say, but the, it's the truth. Most people believe that elections are foregone conclusions. Like, I know there's some tight races for, like, city councilors, some tight races. I live in a riding, Chuck, that, that sends conservative and liberal MPs. I live in Edmonton Center. You know, you've, you've had Lori Hahn there. You've, you've had uh, Randy Bosno as the incumbent there. There's, the, like, you know, James Cumming has been there, the conservative MP. So, like, it flip-flops back and forth and oftentimes is won by five or 600 votes. So, so that's not a foregone conclusion. But if you live in ridings where you're used to seeing big landslides and it's minus 40, why in the hell would you go out and vote? You believe you already know which way it's going to go. You believe your vote is not needed. And, of course, those that are campaigning and campaign volunteers would look you in the eye and plead, plead that you not adopt that position. But but I don't think it would be any different in Alberta. Do you? Look, I, I just think that if you're, if you're having a caucus situation where you have to vote, like I say, in the church that's a mile down the road or the school that's maybe a, a mile or two down the road, I don't think it's that, that difficult to find somebody if you don't want to drive yourself to find someone to pick you up and, and, and throw you in their truck and, and, and go to church and, and vote. I, I just, I, I could be wrong. I mean, we, we may find out tonight that the vote is really suppressed, but I mean, I've been to Iowa just like I've been to Alberta and I've been everywhere else. And uh, the idea that people in Iowa are freaking out about cold weather in January, that just, that, that doesn't comport. And that when I do see a bunch of media people who do live in Washington and New York freaking out about the weather, I get that they're freaked out. But I just don't think that we're going to have a, 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 a highly suppressed vote. By the way, do you have the clip of, of Donald Trump telling people uh, to come vote uh, in the caucuses tonight, even if they're taking their lives uh, into their hands? 
If you're sick as a dog, you say, darling, I gotta make it. Even if you vote and then pass away, it's worth it. I know I'm not supposed to laugh about this because I'm supposed to think everything that Donald Trump says, I'm supposed to take it literally. But I, once again, it's an empathy thing. I have to put myself in the shoes of those people who like Donald Trump and support Donald Trump. And, and the people who like Trump thought this was funny. Well, I mean, he also sent a legion of supporters down to the Capitol on January 6th. We have the one saying he made $8 million from foreign investments. Oh, did you, this, yeah, did yeah. you hear this one? This was yeah. this this yeah. no seven million seven million profit yeah. and the Democrats want him to give it back and and as he sort of like monetized the White House and turned the White House into a for profit machine but he right. doesn't deny it he simply no. says well well here let's just roll the clip it's absolutely hilarious let's roll that one in. <laughs> and if I have a hotel and somebody comes in from China that's a small amount of money and it sounds like a lot of money that's a small but I was doing services for that people were staying in these massive hotels these beautiful hotels. Because I have the best hotels, I have the best clubs, I have the best clubs, I have, the be- I have great stuff. And they stay there and they pay. I don't get $8 million for doing nothing. <laughs> I don't get $8 million for doing nothing. He I literally was, just I, gave the number. He just, and he just, he's like, yeah, it's true, but I was doing services, duh. But once go. again, I, I know the heartland, like the back of my hand. The number one thing that Donald Trump has going for him is he's not a politician. Mm-hmm. And when he says things like this, whether he's telling people to sacrifice themselves for the cause of Donald Trump and, you know, uh, t- take, take, take the, their lives into their hands and take a risk by voting, or, or whether it's this stuff, he's every time he does this, he reinforces to the brain that likes Donald Trump that he's not a politician. So that, that's what he's doing. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. If somebody dies on their way to vote in Iowa, that's obviously a tragedy. Yes. In a sick way, I kind of respect him for saying it. (laughs) Like, he just says what he thinks. He's like, even if you die, if you die voting for me. Yeah. But, 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 But Ryan, we, you know, put aside Donald Trump and put aside America. How often have we talked to our audiences? I don't care whether it's a broadcast or a podcast. As public communicators, how often have we mocked politicians? who are really horrible at being the phony people that many of them are. So we mock them for their phoniness. Here's Donald Trump giving you the real Donald Trump. Like him or not, but for those people who do like him, for those people who do support him, they go, this guy is not a politician. He doesn't talk like a politician. And he doesn't try to talk like a politician. There's a great, there's, there's a great appeal there. And in our business, meaning the media business, you and I are always talking about authenticity. We think we're pretty authentic. You know, we let people know exactly what's in our hearts. Sure. Despite how some people may react. Okay. We think we're authentic. We think a lot of other people in the business are not very authentic. Say whatever you will about Donald Trump. And I have said all kinds of horrible and disgusting things about Donald Trump. The right-wing base in Canada accuses me of having Trump derangement syndrome. Mm. Blah, 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 blah. Yes, yeah. The point is Donald Trump is authentic. He's 100% giving you the guy that he is off camera. It's the same guy. This is not in support of him. This is to understand that in a world where people think everybody is plastic, whether they're running a university or a White House, Donald Trump is a lot of things, but he's not plastic as far as a significant segment of American voters are concerned. Yeah. To, 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 to quote the Simpsons, he, he just says the quiet parts loud. Yes, Charles yeah, Adler. He hey, I'll let you know. Uh, we could uh, be talking about a, a political story 
closer to home next week when we check in with you, Chuck, because uh, we've just got a note. Uh, it looks like uh, Rachel Notley could be uh, bumping up or fast-tracking uh, her resignation as leader of the Alberta NDP. It could come as early as this week. So we'll see. Maybe we'll be talking about that next week. Uh, stay safe out there, my man, and we'll talk to you soon. Ryan, stay warm and don't shower in the morning. Help your people. Help. There you go. That's wise words from Charles Adler, the titan of talk. You can let us know what you think about that talk at ryanjesperson.com. I haven't heard that clip about even if you're that, – that's but in, in a strange way, it just doesn't even surprise me. Just doesn't even surprise me. Uh, we're going to talk to Sarah Bisbee in just a, a quick second. I'm looking forward to this. She's a real talker. She wrote in a big, long email back at the end of November, um, and we said, listen, you got to just come on the show and talk about this. Her family went car-free about 18 months ago, and she says they've never looked back. Uh, I'm interested to hear what their past few days have been like. And then, of course, you know, bigger picture. We'll zoom it out. I'm expecting a really great conversation, and that would not be possible, these conversations, without the support of sponsors like our friends at Friesen Brothers, who want you to know that as the weather gets colder, Friesen Brothers is inviting you to indulge in comfort food. Through the month of January, explore their website's recipe page. That's at Friesen.com, F-R-E-S-O-N, for a ton of comfort food ideas. All the recipes, super easy to follow, and they showcase the finest ingredients from your local Friesen brothers from stews to slow cooker recipes you'll find more information at freezing.com slash what's for dinner you can also find videos to follow to make the cooking even easier i see the slow cooker barbecue ribs there but my mind immediately goes to the shepherd's pie big shepherd's pie guy here we also wanted to give a shout out to our friends at eden landscaping uh, they're not out doing work in anybody's yard at this moment obviously but you know what their team is hard at work doing right now is getting designs together they do 3d renderings of what your backyard front yard project is going to look like i've seen them in action it's really amazing and then they bring those to life a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of experience and helping people realize their dream maximize their outdoor space find a whole new joy when it comes to their quality of life and how much they're enjoying where they're living eden landscaping the entire team great listeners you can learn more about how they work by checking out their website landscapeedmonton.ca they believe that a well-designed well-constructed landscape should do more than just cross items off a wish list it's about way more than that learn more about eden landscaping today on their website again landscapeedmonton.ca was it as cold up in Jasper this weekend? Oh, pal, up there for Jasper in January. I'm going to yeah. be showing you some videos and photos coming up on Wednesday mm -hmm. uh, for my Jasper memories presented by Tourism Jasper. And the short answer is yes. It was. It was as cold, maybe even a little bit colder. I was just no I was way. looking at, at, uh, it was at like minus you know, 50 temperature readouts. It was wild. But there's kind of a, if, if you, there, there's lots of, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to even just sort of, this is not like Stockholm Syndrome. You know, we're stuck here in this part of the world right now, so try to pretend like we enjoy it. Yeah. But there is, especially out in the National Park, like this real crisp oh, yeah. beauty. And, like, you know, they call it, they talk about those bluebird skies, mm -hmm. you know, just cloud-free, stunning yeah. blue sky. And, um, you know, not a lot. you don't see a lot of wildlife out and about, although I saw a lot of rams, like yeah. a lot of mountain sheep on the side of the highway on 16. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously a, a beautiful time of year to be out in Jasper. Everybody's yeah. kind of, everybody's like hunkering down. The, the fireplaces oh, are man. roaring. I, we took Friday off and I don't think I came out of the house till Sunday at like 11. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we didn't do anything. But the one thing, like rabbits have no problem with this weather, eh? No. Like rabbits are out all around. My, I'm like, what are they? It's minus 40, minus 40. I look at the dial. It's like close to minus 47 with the how it feels. And these rabbits are just chilling, just <laughs> ripping around like in the snowbanks. I'm like, these, these guys are living their best life, indestructible. man. Living their best life. Uh, we got this email, uh, end of November, love it, uh, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And uh, Sarah writes in, says, I've been listening with interest uh, to Real Talk's episodes on the affordability crisis and climate action. And she says, one element that I think you're missing is a discussion of the need for transportation change that goes beyond EVs, beyond electric vehicles. She says your affordability panel earlier in November mentioned it, and I got excited, uh, but there weren't many details. Uh, Sarah says, I'm a lawyer. I'm a mom, four kids. She says, about a year and a half ago, my husband and I sold our minivan and went car free. She says, we live in the suburbs, and we've been using electric cargo bikes to get around, yes, even in winter. We said, Sarah, you absolutely must join us on the show, and we're so grateful that she agreed to do so. A very good morning to you, and welcome to Real Talk. Good morning. Thank you. Okay, so question number one. How have you been holding up? I mean, everybody's asking each other how they've been holding up over the past few days. You guys are doing it without a vehicle, uh, an added challenge, or have you, you gotten so used to it now that it's just whatever? Well, I, I mean, it's cold. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Um, but we've gotten used to it. This is my sixth winter riding. Um, but at minus 40, I start to worry about the kids. I can dress myself and get really warm, but I don't like to have the kids out below minus about minus 30 like my littlest guy is just about two um so we've been staying pretty close to home although yesterday we had uh an event that my oldest had been looking forward to for quite a while so part of being car free means we have the flexibility to um, rent a car if we need to so we grabbed a common auto and took him to his event came home and um, normally we would have biked it but at minus 40 i'm not going to do that no. That's the first time this year, but not meaning January, but the first time this winter that that's needed to happen. Wow. So you guys, let's let's rewind the clock, like, you know, rewind the calendar, let's say 18 months or so, I guess about 20 months ago now, uh, you decide as a family to go entirely car free, like you didn't go from three to two or two to one, you went from <laughs> one or two to zero. Is that right? Yeah, well, we started, we went from two to one in 2018. So we bought our first cargo bike in 2018. Uh, we had moved from a small town in southern Alberta to Edmonton, and I knew that I hated driving in city traffic, so I wanted to be able to walk to work. Um, and But we wanted a way to get our kids around that didn't require us all having to pile into a car. So we bought a cargo bike. It was actually a trike style, so the kids sit in a box in front of us on the bike. Um, we bought that in 2018. We sold our first car to do that. Um, and then we had talked about going car free for quite a while. Um, but then we had our littlest guy just shy of two years ago. And I sort of put the car free on hold because we had a baby and you can't possibly not have a car with a baby, right? That that just didn't make sense. Um, but I was about three months into mat leave um, home with the kids and just going, we're not using this minivan. So I don't know why we're making payments on it. I don't know why it's just sitting in the driveway. 
Um, and that's when we decided, yeah, let's let's try this. Let's see. It's going to be an experiment. Um, we it might be a huge mistake, but uh, let's give it a try. I think some one of the, one of the more I mean, there's a ton of interesting elements about your story. Um, one of them is is the fact that you guys, you know, you're a family of six. You got four kids and you're living in the suburbs. I think some people might, you know, they look to people living a car free lifestyle in Vancouver or downtown Toronto or in a city with particularly robust or impressive transit networks, public transit networks. And uh, with all due respect to Edmonton, that's not the case. Um, so it adds some challenges for sure, right, to, to, to your everyday operation. It does. And that's why I think when people talk about going car light or car free, um, the electric cargo bike is the key piece to it mm. uh, because transit isn't perfect. Um, we didn't take transit yesterday for a reason. Um, Sunday schedules are terrible. Um, but we do ride our cargo bikes because they can get us anywhere that we need them to. Um, the bike that you're showing on the screen right now, I've got a range of about 100 kilometers with the batteries on it. So it doesn't do the work for me. I'm still pedaling. I'm still riding that bike. Um, but it does make it so that I don't feel the weight of all the kids in the bike with me. So you told us that over the past 18 months, uh, your family has put almost 10,000 kilometers on two bikes. That's no joke. I mean, that's like. No, and we're actually we're over 10,000 now. Are since, you? Since I wrote that email. Um, yeah, no, we put significant mileage on the bikes. It's not that different than what we would do if we were driving everywhere the kids still have extracurriculars they still go to school they still have you know visits at friends we still go and do go to museums go to libraries go and do all the things that every other family does we just do it with the bike mm-hmm. so you've got the affordability angle on this you've, you've got obviously sort of the, the your your conscience when it comes to climate individual <laughs> action on climate change your conscience probably feels pretty healthy at this point yeah, I I mean, when I look at all of the things you can do to make to be more sustainable, one of them is to cut your transportation emissions. Another one is to go, you know, vegetarian or vegan. And I like steak. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I'm not making that change. Um, you know, they also say having one less kid. Well, I have four, so I'm, I'm not going to go there. But um, we can do our piece with uh, getting around. And Honestly, Ryan, it, I mean, the affordability is fantastic. We have saved so much money. Like it's tens of thousands of dollars um, and the climate change is great, but it's really been a life enhancing experience for us. I get energized by being out and riding and people will say I'm crazy, but if you're familiar with the idea of a runner's high, when you go out and run, you can get that endorphin rush. Well, when I'm out biking, you get that same endorphin rush and at you know, minus 35, that endorphin rush comes much faster. So there's an enjoyability aspect to it. There's the fun that I get to have with my kids. They're not sitting behind me in the car. I can see them. I can talk to them. I get to watch them see things. You know, um, Johnny was just talking about the rabbits that you can see. My little guy points out every single rabbit we see all the time. So so your kids are down with the idea. They, they don't They don't feel like their family is doing something that's absolutely bonkers and none of their friends have to do this, but our family has to do this. They're actually pretty keen about it. Um, yeah, for the most part, my, my daughter absolutely loves it. She's, you talk to her and sometimes I get a little bit nervous about how <laughs> pro bike and anti-car she gets. Um, but uh, yeah, my kids are on board. They love it. My son, you say, okay, it's time to go for the bike. And my little guy, and he's just like, bike, 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 bike. So he loves getting out and into the bike. Um, you know, we have them ride on their own where we can. But the way my philosophy is, is the cargo bikes are car replacements for us. So if it's a journey we would normally do by car, 
then the kids get to ride in the bike. If it's something that would just be a fun bike ride, even if we had a car, then they ride their own bikes. Do you think, I mean, like what you've done here is really impressive. Uh, do you think that it would work for the average person? Like, do, like, do you, could, have, you have you had friends of yours um, in, in, in a sincere way ask questions uh, that gives you the idea that maybe they're inching toward their own transition? Can you, can you see more people in your circle observing what you're doing, seeing that it's possible and making the same move themselves? I mean, even just the affordability angle is huge. I see more and more people moving, not necessarily to going car free, because I recognize Edmonton is um, a very car centric city. Um, but a lot of people that I know are moving to the idea of going to one car or of trying to just use their car less. So, you know, we know statistically that the vast majority of trips by car are less than 10 kilometers. Um, and so people are like, well, what, can, what could I shift? So I've there's a group. Um, I've co-founded with um, a few other uh, parents who bike called Let's Bike There, Y-E-G. And we are all parents who have a cargo bike and we use our cargo bikes as much as we possibly can to get around the city. And then we meet up because it, these cargo bikes aren't everywhere. They're not necessarily easy to find. So we meet up once a month at a playground and parents who are curious or interested um, can come by and they can test out the bikes. They can see what they look like. They can see see how that goes. So there's definitely a shift happening. We are seeing um, in North America that um, e-bikes are outselling EVs. So the shift to micro mobility is there. We just need to see um, more infrastructure. Yeah. What's what's the most common question that people ask you when they when they see out about? We just showed people people can uh, follow you. You're you're on Twitter. You're on TikTok. We'll link to it in the show notes here for YouTube and the podcast uh, at Mommy Pedals. Uh, and you release these great videos. I love the one of you bringing home your Christmas tree on the back of your bike. It's obviously something you go to Costco on your bike. I mean, you've shown you you show photos of how you can fit an entire shopping cart of groceries for a family of six into your trailer, no problem. Um, so you're, you're sort of almost like to use sales terminology, you're, you're answering objections uh, with these videos. But what, what's one of the most common questions that you have that you receive? Um, the most common question I get is actually, where do you get that bike? Uh, because they are uncommon. You don't see a ton of them. But you're right. I do answer objections because I do hear from people. A lot of them are like, oh, wow, I, I couldn't do that. And what I want people to know is that it seems absolutely wild. I recognize that. Um, I thought it was absolutely wild before we started doing it, uh, but it's not as difficult as it seems. And one of one of the key things that people, I think, miss is we look at bikes quite often as a toy. They're they're a form of recreation, but they can be a serious form of transportation. And in some cases, um, I'm actually faster than a car. Uh, especially if I'm heading to the downtown area or to the White Ave area or anywhere where you have to find parking because my parking tends to be directly in front of wherever I'm going. Right. Yeah. But you, uh, these, these bikes aren't cheap, right? I, I mean, I, I would imagine if I'm you, I'm spending $500 on a lock. Uh, for the, can I ask what, 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 the, what the cost is, what the price is for both your bikes? Yeah. So no, they're not cheap. And the way we have financed both of our bikes is by getting rid of a car. So our right. trike that we bought in 2018 to buy it new today with the accessories we have on it, so the cover to keep the rain and the snow out, um, that sort of thing, is $6,500. Um, and the other bike that we have 
to buy it with all the accessories that we have on it is um, about $14,000. So they're not cheap bikes. 14000 They are. 14000 for a bike? For, yep, 14000 for the bike plus the, the bike itself is 9000 Okay. Um, but I added a second battery to it and the batteries run about $600 a piece. Right. Um, I added that extra front bench that they're showing in the video so that I could sit more kids in it. Um, that video you're showing right now doesn't show the rain and snow cover, but that's on it. So there's a bunch of accessories that go with it the same way that you would accessorize your vehicle when you get the heated seats or the heated steering wheel. Yeah. I mean, like 14000 blows my mind as a price for a bike, but it's also like if you're buying a, a vehicle for a family, 14000 doesn't get you anything. Um, you're not paying it. You're not inputting anything for fuel costs. I mean, do you insure? I guess you would insure it, or you'd have like property insurance on it, but but not the cost that you would incur on a on a new car, right? No, no, I insure all my bikes for about three hundred dollars a year. Okay, yeah, not too bad at all. Wow, this is great. I mean, it's it's uh, you're, you're you're practicing what you preach. I mean, you're 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 showing people that it's possible. Um, I would imagine that you probably the detractors would have something to say about bike lanes and things like that anytime this is like our secret we used to say in talk radio back in the day uh if a guest ever fell through or we found ourselves with a half hour to fill just bring up bike lanes or fluoride in the water and you'll get like a 300 phone calls and you'll be totally fine um do you feel like with, with the the expansion of bike lanes in edmonton or what you've seen in other cities um like do you feel safe out there with your kids do you feel safe sharing because i know you've made a, a point on your social media channels to point out you don't ride on the sidewalk you ride on the on this on the roads do, do you feel okay with it i do um i have been riding my bike for a very long time i mean i grew up uh, like i said in a rural area and so to get to my friends houses i had to bike there so i've been riding on the sides of highways since probably i was probably I was 13 before my parents started letting me ride on the side of the highway, but I've been riding on highways for a long time. So I'm familiar with riding with traffic, mixing with traffic. It is not for everybody. And that is where we need the protected infrastructure um, because I shouldn't have to worry about being hit by cars. And I have been hit by a car with my kids in the bike. Oh, really? Um, yep. Always both times it was at an intersection. Um, I was on a um, shared use path. So the city's shared use path system and the car decided to make a right turn. And in both cases, the driver looked me and looked at me. I saw them. I looked right in their eyes and they pulled out and made the right, right into the bike. So it was low speed collisions. There was never any damage to me or the kids that were in the bike with me. Um, but the bike have gotten a little beat up by it. And I've had a few things that I've had to be fixed as a result of it. So I'm not going to tell you that it's a hundred percent safe, but you have to be careful. But to be fair, it's not a hundred percent safe to drive either. Oh, I mean, for sure. Get in fender benders all the time. Yeah. 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 No, I, 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 I mean, I don't know why I'm going here, but there was a tragic story the other day. I don't know if you heard about this, somebody riding the bus. Did you hear about this? This lady mm -hmm. in her sixties riding the bus, the bus goes around a corner. She loses her footing on the bus, falls out the door and is killed. I mean, it's just like, to me, I just, I don't know that, that got me, in a whole different mindset, thinking about life and how fleeting it all is and, and how at any given moment uh, it can just be lights out. But but to keep the conversation focused, uh, uh, bring it back to this and, and, and just the fact that, uh, I mean, I'm just so impressed with what you've done. I feel like I'm just you're going to shake your head at me and roll your eyes. I'm just like, well, it's not for me. This isn't for me because we need a car. We need a car. And then you're probably going to go, well, why do you need it? And then probably the more that I try to talk and justify it, you're probably going to go, well, you can do this and this and this, right? I mean, like, you know, and, and even the fact that you pointed out that if you guys need to, you can 
you know, rent a vehicle or you can use a car share program. It's not like, if, you know, if you're taking the family to, to you know, Drumheller to go see the dinosaurs in the summer, what do you do? You just rent a vehicle? Is that the plan? Yep. That's, and we've done that whenever we do a family holiday or I've got family, you know, in other provinces. Um, we just, we rent a car and we go out and we see them. Um, it's not, it's, it, you see, I have to think about it. There's a little bit more logistical planning. It's of not course, like you just yeah. jump in your car off the driveway, but it's no different. I mean, you go and book a hotel, you go and book, you know, a campsite, you go and book whatever you're booking for your travel. So we just add one other booking to it and um, you don't notice. But I wouldn't actually, Ryan, try and point out, oh, no, you could do this, this or this. What I would actually invite you or anyone else to do is just come ride one of them because I have never seen anyone ride one who gets off it and goes, oh, that was horrible. I'm never doing that again. Everybody is excited and has a blast. And the smiles and the giggles that you get from kids, especially younger kids, um, it, you just, you want to do it. We so haven't even talked more, about, we haven't even talked about mental health. We haven't talked about the gulps of fresh, crisp air, the oxygen that you're infusing into your morning, which is obviously probably, I mean, uh, a significant benefit, like the physical fitness thing. We haven't even talked about like how many calories are burned in 10,000 kilometers of cycling, right? I'll acknowledge, I mean, a friend of mine bought an e-bike last summer and she let me hop on and take it for a spin. I couldn't believe how incredible it was. I mean, I think it was going like 40 kilometers an hour or something. It blew my mind actually. Um, but yeah, even the physical fitness of just getting out and pedaling. Mm -hmm. I, I, what I talked about with people sometimes are like, oh, well, this is going to take so much more time. Well, number one, it doesn't actually take as much time as you think. When you look at, I think Tom Tom has statistics on how fast the average car in the city of Edmonton moves at any one particular time. Yeah. And so the average speed over the course of a trip of a car is 30 kilometers an hour. And that's all told that's including rush hour. That's including, you know, dead of night times. Mm -hmm. Um, the bike, my bikes are limited. There's different classes of e-bikes. And so mine are the ones that are limited. So they're allowed to go on the shared use pass at 32 kilometers an hour. Um, so quite often I'm moving very similar to the speed of traffic. So it doesn't actually take that much longer to go places. And the extra time that it does take, I've got a video I did where I did trip training. So one of those days where you've got, you know, a doctor's appointment here and you've got another appointment over here, and then you need to stop at the library. I mean, it's the types of travel that we all do where you're like, okay, I got to do an errand day today. And I, and that, that trip took me, it was a total of 44 kilometers around the city. Um, and my biking time on it, the actual time riding the bike was about uh, an hour and 45. And when you look at what Google maps told me it would take to drive all of those places, it was going to take me driving time, according to Google maps, an hour and 24 minutes. So hmm. it took me a little bit longer, but I had fresh air. I had exercise. I didn't have to go to the gym that day for an extra, you know, 25 minutes of time. Hmm. You, you, I don't know if you remember how you signed off your email to us uh, in November, uh, but you said, uh, thanks for the show. You said, congratulations on three years of Real Talk. You said, I always listen to it later uh, to the podcast during my commute on the cargo bike. And that was just music to my ears. Just imagine Johnny and I always imagine like, you know, when people write in, we love when they tell us when or how they listen to or watch the show. Um, for some people it's on their dog walk for some people it's on their commute. I just love the thought of you just hammering away on those pedals uh, with your family, big smile on your face. Most times I'm sure uh, listening to the show, that really means a lot to us and we sure appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for doing this, and and hey, happy pedaling out there. You leaving the bike in the garage today? I'm assuming. Uh, no, we went out and did the school run this morning. You did. Had to get to class. Yeah. Oh, legend! You are a legend, Sarah Bisbee. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. You think you could do it? 
Uh, I want to say, because I would love to do it, and we've talked about this before, but there's no route from Chappelle where I am to work. It just, it's not, like, I would have to literally go on Gateway, like, yeah. right on the For people that don't lane. live here, that's kind of like a main drag coming downtown type Right, it's coming yeah. into Calgary. I would have to, like, either take the ring loop to that exit or something, but yeah. I would love, I would love to try it, but... Man, in this weather, the last few days, she, I know, she's a warrior. She's hardcore. She's, she's, she's hardcore. I love it. I was looking forward to, like we said, we booked this interview quite some time ago, and before we knew what the temperature was going to be like. And this weekend, I was thinking as we were getting ready for Monday's show, I'm going, mm. "Oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> this is going to be good. I can't wait to ask her what her last few days have it been was like." But like some of the stories over this week, like the the door handle for our back door, which is our front door, we live in a townhouse, yeah, yeah. ice was starting to form on the inside oh, of the yeah. handle. Oh, it yeah. was like, it was just crazy. Just wild for yeah. people. You, again, you can find uh, Sarah online on, on Twitter, on TikTok, at Mommy Pedals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. This tweet is great, too, with all the savings. And, Isn't that yeah. good? She did, so we'll, we'll uh, get into this. Like, this is just uh, a recap. Uh, so she posted this uh, four weeks in to her family's adventure. Uh, and they were tracking everything. I should have asked. I don't know if they still track everything every week, but but uh, it was a Canada Day around that time. So this was July. She says we we traveled 63 kilometers, uh, doing regular stuff plus a trip to Millwoods for Canada Day. The savings on the week, uh, gas was at uh, 187 a liter. Jeez, um, uh, she says. And the van, uh, 10.2 liters per 100 kilometers. So she knows what the efficiency was of the van that they got rid of. Um, she says, so we would have spent $12 in fuel. Mm-hmm. Our insurance was 162 bucks, uh, which means that they uh, would have been 174 bucks that week mm-hmm. that they would have spent that they didn't. Uh, she says, so there we go. Four weeks in, their total savings were already at $661. For some people, this is going to be a climate thing. Yeah. For other people, it's going to be an affordability thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, some, for many people, it would be both. Mm-hmm. Um, and others might have uh, something else going on as well. I mean, everybody knows the benefits are how you feel. Of course, like, I fill like, in your lungs with fresh air, you know? I like how you brought that up at the end because I'm like, I know he's going to talk about it, but like, yeah. she must just feel better having exercise how daily, not, every day, right? regardless. Even just the sense of accomplishment. Yeah. You know, some people, they try to get to the gym and they don't, but if you just have exercise every single day, I'm guessing in the morning and the evening, that's probably amazing for your mental health and, and just physical health as well. A couple of people in here saying, is it is it maybe dangerous to be out on, in cold weather and icy? She did say at the start of the interview, she doesn't go out past anything past, I think, minus 29 or 30. Sure. But also, are you any safer in a car when it's black ice everywhere and freezing? I don't know. So. Well, yeah, I mean, and I think that, you know, she, there, there's going to be danger everywhere. That's not to say that you, that you uh, sort of like willy-nilly, you know, you don't worry about the mm-hmm. safety of it. I'm sure that as a parent, you're aware. Uh, they're considering all types of Trying things and taking necessary precautions. But, you know, I remember like even riding in the summer with our little guys, you've got like the sort of that, that uh, clamp on trailer that goes on the back of our bike mm-hmm. and, and, and all that. And, and um, you know, everybody, everybody can have their opinions on bike lanes. I think that there's, you know, there are some uh, valid objections to bike lanes. And I think that there are, to, to be honest, disproportionately more reasons why they're a good idea. Um, but you, ne- you never value them as much as when you're out there with your kids. Yeah. Uh, to have a physical barrier, uh, and even if it's just a curb, psychologically, uh, it acts uh, in a very effective manner. Um, a barrier between where you're at with your kids, your most precious cargo, and where the vehicles are at. Uh, and if we're being honest, uh, the real talk is with half those people checking their Facebook while they're driving, 
Um, I just think that the the argument is there and the argument's yeah. easier to make. You know what I'd be curious to see is when her kids grow up, like when Sarah's, I should have asked her this, when her eldest turns 16, are they going to want a car? Hmm. Are they going to want a car after this experience or are they going to want their very oh, first Oh, you mean because they've grown up without it. Because they've grown up they without it. They probably wouldn't have the need for it. Well, I mean, seen, they wouldn't have the want for it. You yeah, know? you'll see in your everyday life that it's doable to not have one. Mm-hmm. And then, especially as a young person, thinking of the affordability angle, too, that'd be that'd be a really big deal. I mean, I commend her. Like, we, right now, me and my partner, we're sharing a vehicle. Yeah. The house is basically about 99% plant-based, other than, like, our pets eat, you know, animal products, and, and you might find an egg in the fridge every now and then. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. Uh, but uh, other than that, like, I do not think we could go without a vehicle. And so I was just watching her in awe. I'm like, this mom is an absolute warrior and, and amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Plain Power uh, uh, says there is no valid reason to be against bike lanes. None. Says just think of people in wheelchairs. Think of parents with strollers. Uh, bike lanes are typically clear to use. Now, that's a great point. I would rather have them because I know and I hate when I do this. When I see a biker on a roadway lane, and I hate that I do it, but immediately I get annoyed. I'm like, why are they there? <laughs> but if there's a bike lane and they're in it, then it doesn't affect my, you know yeah. what I mean? And I have to tell myself, like, don't be annoyed. Like, th- they don't have a bike lane here. They have to be on the street. There's no sidewalk. They're obeying the law. They're yeah. doing what they're, they're supposed what to they're be supposed doing. To. And also, you know what I always remind myself? They pay taxes just like me. <laughs> right? They pay taxes just like me. Um, Akhet says kids are in danger from drivers just walking around because people drive trucks that are way too big for them. They can't see kids crossing the street and then says with the sarcasm notation we should just ban kids from going outside yeah we'll ban kids in general ban kids in general there we go it's much safer it's much safer uh the first episode of every week uh courtesy of our friends at kubi renewable energy uh, we have an opportunity to focus on a story i think we just had one i think that could have been a positive reflection Sarah Bisbee is one of our positive reflections this week, presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. Uh, But you remember, we were also talking just last week, our conversation with Dana Larson. You remember that? Uh, Dana's that that drug advocate and entrepreneur that mailed mushrooms and cocoa leaves. Everybody's going, where is this feature going right now? He mailed mushrooms, like magic mushrooms and cocoa leaves to every MLA in BC. What prompted an email from Cyrus, who's a Patreon supporter, and we absolutely love this. Cyrus wrote in and, and basically said, uh, Jespo, when you were talking about taking cocoa leaves, uh, I was chewing on cocoa leaves when I was hiking the Inca Trail in Machu Picchu in, in Peru. This is like 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. Um, Cyrus says, I want to thank you for that trip down memory lane. I also uh, munched cocoa leaves on the Inca Trail. Uh, says, I was living in Vancouver at the time, and I had got pills from my doctor to help me with altitude sickness, but they ended up being used. Uh, despite the fact that we had acclimatized already for three days in Cusco. Cusco, one of the oldest cities, the most continuously inhabited cities in the world, an absolutely magical place. Uh, Cyrus says, so I was there with my younger brother and sister. We spent two weeks during our university years in Peru. Our trip was built around the hike of the Inca Trail. Uh, We went all over Peru, Lima, Cusco, the Inca Trail, Puno, the Lake Titicaca, and experienced a ton of stuff along the way. Uh, Said we had to stay fluid out there. It was a really wild adventure. He says, but it was just an amazing time out there uh, and a very interesting conversation he said that you were having about mushrooms on the show he said i have to say our time in machu picchu one of the best few days of my life and there's nothing like having this world 
heritage site to yourself, all to yourself in the morning. Cyrus, isn't that the truth? There is nothing like it. You've got the alpaca up there. You're walking on ground that has such spiritual significance uh, to the indigenous people in that region and has for thousands of years. He said the conversation you had about mushrooms and cocoa leaves also got me thinking about my university roommates back in the day. We'd smoke a hookah and the tobacco was always from the Middle East. He says, when we parted ways after university, we all stopped cold turkey. I wonder why we were able to do that. Why there was no addiction at play. He says, maybe it's because where the tobacco was grown, it wasn't North America. He says, who knows? Anyway, he says, I thought you might enjoy seeing my photos, hearing my family's story of our trip to Machu Picchu, one of the most wonderful spots in the world. He says, I wonder if it might spur some memories from other real talkers as well. Cyrus, we love it. By the way, signs off as a Real Talk patron, uh, which makes our day even more. A positive reflections, an opportunity for you to tell us about an amazing memory, a magical moment, uh, a, a random act of kindness. As someone you saw pay it forward, and of course, it's presented every week. These emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get a free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to ask a question that some of you have been asking, but it's not been front and center, not been making headlines because of everything else going on. But you know, American right-wing personality Tucker Carlson's coming to Alberta, and Alberta's premier is going to be sharing a stage with him. Good idea? Bad idea? We're going to hash it up with a pro and con panel. We hope you'll join us then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.